Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. The Last Kids on Earth and their superhero alter egos are back in the latest installment of the graphic novel spinoff series, The Last Comics on Earth, Too Many Villains. Jack, June, Quint, and Dirk face their biggest challenge yet, creating the sequel to their hit graphic novel in a mad dash, puzzle-filled race across Apocalyptia to stop the biggest evil plan in history. Hey, you know what the creators of Last Comics on Earth's evil plan is? Make me and my kids love these books. Seriously, my younger kid is a huge fan of both the Last Kid series and the Last Comic series. It's true. And now I'm hooked too. The whole team has created a delightful cast of characters with some fantastic kid-friendly art throughout that will appeal to readers of all ages. Buy your copy of The Last Comics on Earth in stores today. You can also visit lastkidsonearth.com to learn more. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And we are here with the head of Oni Press. The head. The head. What's the official title, Hunter? President and publisher. President and publisher of Oni Press, Hunter Goranson. Hunter, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my God. Excited to have you here. So before we get into any specific topics, you, you just came from a panel, relatively speaking, that you had here. What are the priorities of a publisher like Oni Press at a con like Baltimore Comic Con? Baltimore Comic Con is kind of a special case because I, myself, along with our senior sales manager, Michael Torma, who just joined the company after years of working at Third Eye Comics, which is one of the biggest chains in, uh, on the East Coast, but specifically in Maryland, are both Maryland boys. So Woo-hoo. this was my hometown show for years, even before I started working in the industry. I remember coming here in like 2010, nine, and being really excited about Blackest Night. You know okay, what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it'll always hold a special place in my heart. Torma lives very close by. I now live about three hours away. So uh, Mark Nathan, who who owns and operates um, Baltimore Comic-Con has already pressured me into committing to forcing Oni to exhibit next year. So we're in for 2024, (laughs) but this year we're really just here to pay tribute to one of our, our favorite shows and participate in any way we can, even though it's just two of us. Well, so to lay the groundwork for anybody who doesn't know, you, uh, you've worn a ton of different hats in the industry, but the latest one you've had since December, right? So it's been a relatively short period of time. What was it like making that transition transition into leading Oni, and what have the past couple of months been like? Sure. I mean, you know, comics is... Every job in comics is the same in the <laughs> sense that it requires two things. One, a level of passion about what we do and how much we care about comics, graphic novels, the medium of sequential storytelling, call it what you will. And then the second part of that is for that love to override. Yes, you may have a Snickers. That's quite yeah, all right. no, no, that's fine. That's the joy of taping these podcasts on the cod floor as people get stickers. No, it's great. You can grab a button, grab a button and a, a, a sticker as well. No, you're it's all okay. good. You're okay. Oh my god, it's great. 
Um, <laughs> and then, uh, I guess to recap, uh, huge amount of passion for what we do and just love being in the mix, working with creators, making comics, right, is a huge privilege. Like, we're, I feel like I'm part of like an 80 year legacy started with Maxwell Gaines, the guy who created comics as a tie salesman, as an incentive for kid, for housewives to buy comics, all the way to today. And then for that, the second part of that is for that passion to then override all of the molecules of your body that say, this is hard, we should stop. So like making comics itself is a never, as you know, there's a Wednesday every week. So comics never stop coming. Thanksgiving, Christmas, best friend's wedding, your anniversary, <laughs> there is always more comics coming. And you some people, it drives them absolutely insane, like it's a lot of stress, and other people you just surrender to that is part of it. And fortunately, I long ago surrendered to the to the will of the comics wheel as it ever rolls ever forward. Well, I want to talk about the other end of the spectrum because as you've been talking about this new position and talking about the new mm -hmm. Oni and where you're going, I know you've been talking a lot about how comics have to do better and yeah. have to be better. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I guess what I specifically, um, the, the, when I was approached about this role for Oni, right, I'll say this, which is like, I loved Oni when it was initially around in the late 90s. Like, I voraciously consumed all those books, and Oni occupied a space for me that was yes. really vital at the time. Someone who grew up loving Marvel and DC Comics and then was all in on Image, but at the same time, like, things were happening in other parts of the culture. So, like, it was the rise of independent film. And, like, I loved blockbusters. And then I got to see Pulp Fiction. And I got to see Robert Rodriguez's Desperado. And I got to see the first films of Richard Linklater, et cetera, and Kevin Smith's Clerks. And for me, or, like, in music, where, like, yeah, there was mainstream stuff happening. And then there was Sub Pop and Matador Records and Epitaph Records. Only for that was, like, the reaction that. It was, like, the counterculture reaction to all of the mainstream trend lines that were happening in comics. And I kind of see the same thing now, where like, um, I think Oni has all, I think Oni is at its best when it occupies a slightly left of center niche in the comics industry that is counter-programming for the mainstream, right? Really high quality creator forward, narrative driven books, but that, aren't emulating trends that we're seeing elsewhere, Oni should be setting the trends. And like when Oni is at its best historically, that is what it's always done. I, I love hearing that. Like yeah. I legitimately do because I think, as you well know, there was a period of time where the comic book industry went through, it was all IP driven and not just in terms of we're going to publish IP, but also we're going to try to create IP so we can sell it to TV, sell it to movies. I'm sure that's on the docket somewhere because there's money there, but it sounds to me like you're very much thinking comics first. Yeah, and look, there's not as much... I've worked in film and TV production. Like, I did... Yeah. So, I was... My first full-time job in comics was I was the... Where we first met was I was the the uh, the head of marketing for the Valiant relaunch, right? Which yeah. obviously had a huge... We're making intellectual property overlay, but we did primarily concern ourselves with making the best books possible. And then after that, when I left... I cynically said to myself at the time, like, I would like to be a senior person in the comic book industry at some point, so so I don't wind up working for a movie producer at some point in the future, because that's the way this industry is going. I need to get some prerequisites on my resume 
So I know how that part of the business works and understand it so I can speak credibly to it. So I worked for like two or three years at a production company called Hivemind. We made the expanse on Amazon. We did uh, The Witcher on um, Netflix. Uh, we were working for a long time with Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino and doing an adaptation of Gideon Falls. And like it was interesting and it was a lot of fun and it, it taught me a lot. But with a company like Oni, like first of all, the the best the best thing that you can have in the comic book industry and if you if you if you ultimately aspire to have something made into a film or TV show that's great and like a lot of creators have been able to supplement their income find other creative avenues for their work etc but the best thing that the thing that will ultimately make that happen for you is creating the best book possible so like none of that other stuff is possible unless we focus on comics first and the number one question that I talk about all the time with creators, I have always historically done this, but it's really top of mind at Oni, is why is this story you want to tell a comic? So, like, you could do anything with your time. You could write a short story or a screenplay or a proposal for a video game or a podcast. Like, all these things are very possible now. But why is this a comic? What are the specific things about the comics medium that make this a story that only we can tell here? And uh, for some reason, at the moment, guys, that's like a radical proposition, <laughs> which is like crazy to me. Yeah. But yeah. people look at me like, oh my God, we finally found someone who just like loves comics. And that's, that's the way I feel. That's the way everyone else at Oni feels. That's the way our editor-in-chief, Sierra Han, feels. Um, so let's make some comics. That's what, that's what we're excited to do. Well, let's talk about how you're going to be doing that then. Yeah. Because you've already made a bunch of announcements. I know you have at New York Comic Con, you have our your new class panel mm -hmm. where I know there's a bunch of announcements coming out as well. So what what is the specific mission there? Like what is coming out that is going to push Oni not even to this next level but to like that old level with a new fresh coat of paint? Yeah, so I started in December and then we immediately like hit the ground running on thinking about Essentially, how do we synthesize what are the three great eras of Oni? There was that original 97 kind of black and white, scrappy, Clerks Oni double feature era. Then there was that middle point in the mid-2000s where Oni put out a lot of like high-quality genre books like Letter 44 by Charles Soule, right. The Bunker by uh, Fialkov, as well as like stuff like Scott Pilgrim by Brian Lee O'Malley, all happening concurrent with that. And then there's the most recent era where Oni has found a pretty sizable audience of younger readers with stuff like Tea Dragon Society and a bunch of other books in that vein. And those tend to be pretty artist, creator-specific as well. And so we started thinking about, like, how do we keep all of these things that make Oni Oni intact but synthesize them into a way that Oni is in conversation with what's happening in the comics community and in the retail community currently. So for me, an important thing for me as a publisher of comics is I think we have to release monthly comics. Like, um, yes, there's a huge market for graphic novels. There's a huge book for, there's a huge market for children's books. But for me, and I will die on this hill, <laughs> is football is played in a football stadium on Sundays and comics happen in a comic book store on Wednesdays or sometimes Tuesday now. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think the, um, the energy there carries, which is, it's vital from where I sit that a company like Oni, which I think is one of the five or six at this point most institutional independent comic book publishers, 
needs to be represented on the stands in like a, in a in a monthly way. So we do have a lot of prominent graphic novel projects coming. Uh, but what you'll start to see from us, and you've started to see drips and drabs of it already with books like Dwellings by Jay Stevens. We have a new one coming up called The Man From Maybe by Jordan Thomas and Shaky Kane. There's a book I'm very excited about called Faceless in the Family by Bat Luzanuski coming in November. These are all monthly serialized comic book series. Oh, okay. And then beginning with Invasive, which is a new book by Cullen Bunn and Jesus Hervas, a horror, uh, a really, 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 really intense horror book coming in December. We're, not to tip my hat towards New York too much, but we're going to announce a new wave of creator-owned books that I think will get people really excited, but also aren't all one thing. It's a pretty diverse swath of stuff. I think it all falls within the tonality of what Oni has published previously, but it'll be like a range of creators and a range of tone and a range of, um, uh, like, genres, Mm -hmm. but... The one thing that will unite them all is that we have thought about them and conceived of them as monthly comic book series. Uh, and there's, a, you know, there's, there's some. I don't think that's a radical notion to be like we're going to put out a bunch of good comics. That's yeah. what everyone's trying to do. Yeah. Uh, but there are a few big swings in there that hopefully I think will pique people's interest. Uh, one thing I just wanted to say is like as a comic book nerd, Only Press is amazing. I love the stuff that they're putting out. Thank you. You have gotten a dream job to be. In charge of this amazing yes. thing, are is it a little scary to kind of be like, oh God, like I can now decide what gets made, what doesn't? Do you, is it like um, something where you're like, oh, I want to like, you know, find the thing that no one's heard of yet and kind of put a spotlight on it, or like, you know, yeah, man, all of the above. Like, yeah. if you told me, I've often thought about. If you had told me when I was 12 that this would be my job now, I would be psyched. So psyched. <laughs> I would be psyched. Yeah, I mean... So, like, you know, making comics is not easy. Especially the business the business and logistical and operation side of comics is not easy. Like, getting books printed and shipped from overseas and making sure that they're distributed. I often say that, like, every book that appears in stores on a Wednesday is a tiny little miracle. It means that the writer, the artist, the letterer, the colorist... The printer, everybody hit their deadline, and like it just happens, and it's, it's always it's always kind of a miracle. Uh, so there's that. That's tough, but yeah, man, like it's an immense it's a it's an immense privilege to be able to work at this level in the industry, to be able to have uh, at least even a small modicum of power to like help creators get their books published. Uh, and it's also you know it's also an axe that could fall and make make. Pick some, pick some risky, too many risky picks, yeah. and that's it. But I have enough faith in like uh, my own personal taste. I have enough faith in our editorial team, and I have enough faith in um, our a really incredible cast of creators who we work with that I think we're going to put out some good stuff. And all that I can do is try and put the best intentionality and purpose as possible behind it to, to try and do the best job possible. Make the best books. I had a couple of questions about the monthly release. Obviously, yeah. I know what a monthly release is, but first of all, do you have a cadence for it at this point? Or are you figuring like one book a week? Is it going to be multiple books a week or is it too early to talk? It'll be multiple consecutive months of launches, but it won't be like, no, we're not going to, it would be foolish of us. Like, Oni is still a relatively small company and it always has been. Uh, 
we're not gonna like we're not gonna new fifty two out the <laughs> the uh, Oni Press anytime yeah. anytime soon. But there'll be a, a consistent, methodical, logical approach to releases that I think people will be able to. It's not like a huge. It's not it's not a massive expansion, but it's like it's a handful of really interesting things that I think will get people excited. And awesome. do you think is there still gonna be a focus on graphic novels at the same time? Yes, or, or, we have okay. like. I would say our Oni traditionally has been publishing about somewhere between 55 and 70 projects a year, which is a lot, okay? Most of those over the past several years have been original graphic novels with like, I would say less than 10 monthly comic series, maybe a little bit more if you include licensed stuff like Rick and Morty, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna try and bring parody to that a little bit more. I still, there will never be a time when we're launching multiple creator-owned books in the same month. Like, I think it's really important from a marketing and sales standpoint that we, to be very honest with you, I think it's the number one failing of, like, uh, other publishers at the moment. Like, you've heard, you guys have probably heard every retailer talk about, like, there's just so much stuff. Who is this for? And so the number one mandate that I try and put in place is, like, again, being really intentional about the books we put forward so that even if it's not your cup of tea, you know enough about it to make that evaluation when you walk into a comic book store and at least know that it exists, which I think is more than most publishers, than a lot of people can say at this point. Like, there's so many comics that come out that nobody ever has a chance to hear about. So... Marketing was my first discipline uh, in the industry. That's what I led at Valiant. And, you know, regardless of what you thought of the Valiant 2012 relaunch, um, people heard about those books. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. Um, I wanted to ask you about some older books. Specifically, the first one I wanted to ask about was Gender Queer, Mm -hmm. which this isn't necessarily a new thing. But there seems like there's an increasing amount of book bans and pulling out of libraries that are happening in the United States. Very much focused around Heartstopper and Gender Queer. Uh, I know you can't really talk about Heartstopper from that direction, mm-hmm. but what does that do and how do you tackle that as a publisher, if at all? I mean, this began before my tenure, but it's obviously, it's something that's at the forefront of discussions that we have every week, if not every day. Um, you know, it was no, I don't think it was ever Maya Kobabi, who's the uh, creator and cartoonist behind Gender Queer. It was never your intention to uh, become a national figure. They created an intensely personal, autobiographical work. And for reasons beyond their control, I think, which is mostly, I mean, I think it's mostly related to the title of the book. I think it's just an easy target in the culture wars. You know what I mean? Uh by the same token, it's definitely there's definitely been a Streisand effect around it where we sell so, so much genderqueer. <laughs> and we started selling more and more genderqueer during the time that it became a quote-unquote controversial book designated as so from people outside the art form, outside the industry, with very little uh, care or expertise to actually evaluate what they were looking at. I wonder, not to go totally off script or anything, but like, I wonder if those dum-dums who ban it and try to get it banned, if they realized that it was selling even more, maybe they'd shut up. You know, maybe they wouldn't say anything, you know? Maybe. I mean, like, I just, I, ultimately, free. Ultimately, this is something I, we've made a conscious decision to not 
talk about at a huge level publicly sure. just because the reason for that is because the people who have used this as a point to advance their own agenda, all they want is attention. Mm-hmm. And by addressing it directly and head on, all we do is give them what they want. This is probably more than I've said about it publicly <laughs> over the past six months. Well, love working with Maya. Maya is a creative genius. Uh, we stand like a hundred percent affirmatively, uh, behind them and their work. Uh, and we launched at San Diego. We were, we're, we've, you know, partnered with the CBLDF again, uh, for an initiative called, uh, uh, cleverly called, uh, fight censorship, read comics, uh, in which, uh, we'll be using, you know, uh, Maya was kind enough to create a new art piece. Uh, all sales from that art piece go towards the CBLDF. Um, so there is good that can come of that situation. And it's important that, like, there's an entire legion of people out there for whom genderqueer could be a seminal work or have a positive influence on their lives who might have been made aware of it through all of this. So yeah. let's not discount that, too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk about something a little more on the positive end of the spectrum, Scott Pilgrim. Yes. Uh, that is, I'm sure you I'm sure you know this, I hope this isn't a surprise, coming out on Netflix. What? I'm, it, I'm sorry to break it to you like this. In November, they're doing the anime version. And then I think we're getting the 20th anniversary next year. What can you say, if anything, about Odie's plans to embrace both of these events? Uh, I mean, one of the huge joys that I've had uh, in my short time at Oni has been working with Brian uh, and getting to know him a little bit. Uh, I got a small taste of what's coming up with Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, which is the adaptation slash expansion coming up on Netflix. I think the entire thing will drop globally on November 17th, which is incredible. Uh, Can't wait. If you're a fan of Scott Pilgrim, which even to this day I feel like is like a singular work, like there's nothing, if you love Scott Pilgrim, there's nothing else that's like, if you love Dark Knight Returns, you can go read Batman Year One. You know what I mean? There's nothing else like Scott Pilgrim. It's like a singular thing. And the next closest thing after it is this anime series. So there's a ton more stuff in there that I think will get people excited. It looks incredible. Uh, And then yes, we are aware that there is a 20th anniversary <laughs> next year, so that's all I can say. About oh boy, that for Scott now. Pilgrim sequel confirmed. Yes. I can't believe it. We got it here on the podcast. Uh, Hunter, that's great. What else? What do we miss? What else do you want to plug from Oni, if anything? Um, I think touched a couple of them. I've, there's two books coming up that I think people, if you love creator driven comics, uh, you should check out Man from Maybe coming in October. And Faceless in the Family coming in uh, November. Faceless in the Family is by an artist named Matt Luzanuski. He's worked a ton with Matt Kent on some of his Dark Horse books. Uh, he also was nominated for an Eisner call, for a book called The Freak that he did at Ad House. He is like in the process of becoming a Mobius or Richard Corbin level artist. And what I mean by that is like he has a completely singular art style. Uh, so he is truly a genius in the making. I've said that to his face, uh, so it will not come as a surprise to him. He still doesn't believe me, uh, but it's a really, really special book, and it has a ton of heart. It's essentially like if Guardians of the Galaxy met Wizard of Oz on a on an alien planet shaped like a hand. Uh, it's a it's a really special book. And then I would, one more, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Dwellings, which was one of the first books that I got going when I started at Oni 
by a cartoonist named Jay Stevens, who's been in the industry for 20 years, did his very earliest work at Oni. Over the course of the pandemic, he kickstarted this book, uh, which was essentially, it's essentially if there was a Harvey horror comic in the style of Wendy the Good Witch or Casper the Friendly Ghost, oh. but with NC-17 levels of violence and horror. <laughs> uh, so it's a really, really special book. We put it out in August. Before the first issue even came out, we were on a third printing. Wow. So it's, that's rare. That typically doesn't happen. It typically doesn't happen for three-issue miniseries drawn in the style of Harvey comics. Uh, so we struck a nerve, and I think it was indicative. That was a very positive early sign for me from the readership in general that this space that I've posited Oni can be successful, which is to the left of what the conventional wisdom is of the mainstream, saying that, yeah, everything needs to be like a Netflix-ready, super clean, high-concept genre thing. Dwellings is not that. Dwellings is just straight-up comics by a cartoonist who has a really unique vision, and it automatically found... Uh, reception, Like, one of the variants for issue one's going for, like, 60 bucks on eBay. Not that I care about that sort of thing, but, like, that doesn't happen. That's traditionally never really happened at Oni. And it shows that, like, there's people scouring the earth now for this book. Awesome. Hunter, I love it. I love everything that you're working on. Very excited about the upcoming books. And please, take a Snickers before you oh. do can I, can I take them all? Can I take <laughs> yeah, the, whole, you can just reach, the whole box? Reach your hand in there and cool. grab all that candy. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's a pl- huge fan of the show. Such an honor to finally be a guest. Thank you so much. And if you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comics. Apple, Android, Spotify, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok or Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the Comic Book Shop. Get on.